Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for subscribing and following. It's Justin Hahnemann, ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas. Today, we're talking to Ingredient Brothers. Like, I can't even wait. They source and import high quality, especially raw ingredients through their large global network. So important in the consumer product space, especially as it relates to food beverage. Um, you're going to meet the, the CEO today. Iran's on with us. Iran Mizrathi, I'm so glad you're here. Um, and thanks for taking time to do the podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Justin. So great. Um, man, cool company. Really interesting. Your background, um, you've got you know, some work in this industry. Um, and then you've been now uh, over at Ingredient Brothers now, what, two, oh, just a little over two years. So let's do this. How about share a little about your story um, and then we'll get to Ingredient Brothers. Yeah, no problem. Um, so, you know, thanks again for having me on the show. A um, little bit about my story, have a, uh, you know, slightly um, different background, I'd say, um, you know, come from originally from South Africa, um, you know, watch my dad build a small import business. He's originally from Israel, so he emigrated. And then um, I, you know, became an accountant, so not as entrepreneurial minded at the beginning of my career, but um, had always had a love for food and had actually gone to culinary school at one point and got to come to the U.S. to go to grad school. And that was really an amazing, you know, opportunity for me. You know, people use MBAs in the U.S. for a lot of different reasons, but for me, it was really a time of exploration, a time to understand different markets and you know you being in new york um, i was able to meet many many people and so you know that opened up a bunch of doors and so i was very grateful to get a job at an early stage startup in the food space and got to really get a second education in supply chain learn about the u.s you know u.s food supply chain and then move to a company called nuts.com where i was the ceo there for a number of years you know most recently obviously during 2020 which was a very impactful year for the company and right going, fascinating yeah. Yeah, so you know, going through that just had some a lot of perspective, and had always had this, in, you know, you know, inclination to try and do something for myself, and convinced uh, Alap, who who worked with me at Nuts.com, to join, and we, you know, started Ingredient Brothers. That's so fascinating. I was sharing with you earlier. It's so uh, interesting. I work with Nuts.com in my day job. Um, had really um, enjoyed learning about that business and and got like you like you said, just learning a couple of years ago, like how the company made it through those different. COVID times, but um, let's fast forward. So um, Ingredient Brothers, um, talk about the business and the focus and then, um, and, and, you know, kind of how things got started. Yeah. So I think both, both roles that I've had in the U.S. have showed me that it was just a lot of opportunity in the wholesale, you know, unsexy space of, let's say, CPG, which is the B2B ingredient sourcing. Um, that market is, is, you know, basically dominated by many, many players. It's not, there isn't necessarily one single big, big player. And so um, I think, you know, inefficiency and in information, I'm a finance guy, so always looking for markets with inefficiency. And, and you know, one thing that always surprised me was, you know, whenever we started to really put pressure on certain categories that we were sourcing, um, we started to find extract value where be it like, you know, improve quality, improve compliance, improve communication, improve pricing, obviously. Um, I always felt like there was room. And so I was like, okay, wow, like you have to do so much work as a sourcing manager to extract that value. It should be a little bit easier, you know, given sure. the market size. And so just, you know, based on that thought, okay, well, you know, how bad could it be? Let's just start something. And, you know, if it's just me and Alap in a room for 10 years, you know, trying to get a few containers sold, 
you know, that's okay. And, you know, at least we'll, we'll give it a shot. And, you know, thankfully that hasn't been the case. And I think we would have killed each other if that was the case, but <laughs> it's, it's definitely, you know, the, you know, we've definitely seen that there's, there's been a really, you know, good reception to really just trying to do each part a little bit better and just try and, you know, what I like to say is democratize the sourcing process, right? Try and get the sourcing, you know, the sourcing manager, the buyer at the company to really feel like they're buying straight from the manufacturer and not from ingredient brothers. Sure. Yeah. Um, fascinating space to be in, especially in the consumer products industry. Um, are others doing it well? Are others doing it not well? Kind of as you're thinking about your specific focus, you know, was it more of an angle around like the how or was it more around these specific products you're sourcing? Yes, I think it was definitely on the how things are happening. Um, I mean, there are def- there are amazing suppliers out there, obviously, right? The, the you know, there's not there aren't you know many, let's say, bad eggs in the system. But I would say that a lot of um, what we've seen is maybe less less embracing of how technology has evolved um, and less embracing of you know the new world that we're living in post COVID with the global workforce and being able to be closer you know closer to our supply and, and closer you know on the ground closer to you know closer to all of our manufacturing partners and so it's it is around the how right it's about you know being able to you know I think one thing that one story someone told me the other day which was you know they're buying truckloads of a product. And it takes them weeks to get hold of a supplier for updates. And because they're they're even for them, they're pretty small for the supplier. Sure. And it's, you know, blew my mind that, you know, at Amazon, if I buy a, you know, a toothpaste and I tell them like, hey, it popped, like I don't even need to return the thing and they're refunding me. <laughs> right. And right. like Amazon's notorious, yeah. not not known for great customer service. And so in my mind, like if that buyer is buying from Amazon and experiencing that and then can't get hold of that, can't get hold of a supplier about a truckload of almonds. You know, there may be uh, an opportunity to do just do do things a little bit better and try and focus on the customer experience. Got it. That makes sense. And I mean, that's how I've seen so many businesses grow. And when you focus on the customer and work backwards from that customer, I mean, that, you know, that's typically where you find a win. Um, I was reading about you guys. You talk about your own products. Um, and, and, and and maybe this is uh, correct. You can share with me if this is incorrect, but mainly focus on ingredients from Asia and Central and South America. Um, you've got deep expertise in superfoods such as coconut, uh, cacao, bot- botanical powders, alternative sweeteners. Is that kind of your niche or broader? And how did you decide where you were going to focus? Yeah, so I think um, that's definitely is, you know, a lot of our products come from like Southeast Asia, uh, you know, and from South America. And so, you know, we started when we started the business, we had seen opportunity in coconut, obviously, based on my experience at Nuts.com. It's had, you know, done a lot of sourcing in, in certain natural ingredients, so, you know, you know, and superfoods. And so we, you know, we saw that opportunity. And so that's where we started the focus. But then very quickly also realized that um, customers, as soon as they started buying one thing from us, were like, hey, I'm having a problem with this <laughs> we product. We need this which too, right? <laughs> completely out of that category of products, right? And so suddenly, you know, we're sourcing, uh, you know, fill in the blank consumer product that I would never have dreamed of sourcing. And so now, you know, I think again, like coming back to the how, it's building that trust with that partner so that they see how we operate to then, you know, gain the, the trust to build out inventory programs with them and source other ingredients from for them, other products for them from around the world. Sure. Makes sense. And then when you first started, did you already have some customers lined up or, you know, just to kind of get your momentum going? Or did you have to go out and sell, kind of sell in your service to get rolling? What did that look like early days? 
Yeah, I know. It's funny. I think about that a lot because, you know, when we I did, we definitely didn't have customers lined up, which would have been <laughs> a good thing. You know, I think in right. the back of my mind, I thought, you know, maybe Nest.com would, would buy a few things from us if we could find some good products. But um, we, you know, I started, I love and I started in front of a computer and it felt like we were playing a computer game. I always talk about like, you know, there's no checklist. You sit down, you open your right. computer and you're like, okay, so like, how do you do this? And then you Google, like, how do you start a business? And what are the things that you should be doing on day one? And and so, you know, we we went through the motions. But, you know, thankfully, I, I love networking and talking to people. Maybe that's, you know, a, a product of business school. But I really love meeting people and I love hiring people. And so as part of that sure. experience, trying to hire almost everyone in New York supply chain over the last eight, you know, eight years, I've uh, I've built a great network. And so I started reaching out to people. I think I had about 150 conversations within the first six months. And, you know, that landed us like with one or two really good key accounts. Um, and so that was that was extremely helpful. So we weren't starting from zero because, you know, both Alep and I have been in the industry for a number of years. So it was almost like a continuation of our careers. Sure. We talked earlier about um, your experience at Nuts.com, especially during uh, 2020, during COVID and whatnot. Um, and, and not to talk about that part, but like, just the ingredient um, space right now over the last year or two, lots of disruptions with Ukraine and whatnot. But are there certain products that are more or less available because of disruptions? I'll say either in the supply chain or in markets or what does that look like over the time that you've been running this business? Well, I think, you know, 2021 versus 2022 was, you know, incredibly different in 2023. has also been like a whole, you know, change. So, you know, in 2021, you had port congestion, everyone being understocked and a huge amount of inventory sitting on the water or in the ports. 2022 was played with, you know, two things. You obviously had the war, which drove up pricing in a lot of commodities, which then resulted in people reformulating and trying to change supply chains and reacting really quick, which, you know, you know, jerks. Supply chains don't like jerks, right? If you if you you <laughs> right. increase volatility into a supply chain, it completely disrupts it. And so, I think that that had a huge impact on on you know on the U.S. supply chain last year. But then you also had the impact of 2021. Then everyone was, you know, short. You you know, it's it's a pendulum. This is similar to the markets where you have, you always overcorrect. It's never in balance, and so you landed up with understocks becoming overstocks. And so, twenty twenty three is like has been in my mind the the rebalancing shift of 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 ingredients. But then, you know, I think you know one thing to always draw to is that um, the you know because ingredients are consumed, you know, we're consuming ingredients from all around the world. You know, weather and crop and political climate have such a big impact in supply, and so you know you you have you know, massive, you know, political unrest in Sri Lanka, which can impact the coconut industry. You have the war in the in Ukraine, which obviously has a massive impact on, on, on global foods, you know, global food supply. And so there is, you know, and then you have droughts and weather changes. And, and so every day there is a new and exciting challenge to try and figure out like what is going to happen and how do you, you know, how do you predict and, and better prepare for the next one? Makes sense. Um, you've obviously uh, had some partners working with you to grow the business. How do, did you already work with some of these individuals before, or find new? Like, what would have been key members of the team to to really uh, to to kind of help your business accelerate? Yeah, so I think you know, uh, prior to COVID, I was the anti-remote, anti-work from home person. Um, right. I like I like to own that. I had a I had a policy and all, so you know, embarrassingly. And but we, we started to import from the Philippines, and I, you know, just out of curiosity, doing a lot of research, and then realized that a lot of people in the Philippines work for U.S. companies, and 
I, you know, thought, okay, well, as an as an entrepreneur, you always say yes, right, to one meeting and just see what happens. And so, you know, we started to um, set up some meetings, and and thankfully, our first meeting was with Jacqueline, who later being our first employee and really helped oh, wow. get a lot of revenue uh, for us and like really grow the business. And so that, you know, lit a fire under me, which is like, oh, you know, we're bringing in ingredients from all around the world. Our supply, our suppliers are all over different time zones, different cultures, different, you know, there's, there's so many, you know, variables that go into this, not just US-based problems that if we built a global team, could we really solve these problems in a unique way? And that, you know, I think has been, you know, probably one of the most rewarding experiences for me. And now we have, you know, close to 20 people everywhere, everyone's all around the world. And we're tapping into talent, you know, from all over with people who've solved, you know, challenges in their own countries that are now, you know, we're able to bring to the US and, and I think improve supply chain and improve the movement of goods, which has been which has been really re- rewarding. Got it. Um, so you're about two years in now. Um, what hasn't worked? Anything that's really sticks out to you in terms of, you know, things you've tried that didn't work out? Oh, I mean, so many things. You know, how many mistakes I can, you know, I wish, you know, you, you always think that you're going to learn from other people's mistakes and then you end up making all the same mistakes. Um, I think that, um, you know, we've definitely taken on deals that we probably shouldn't have and been burnt early on and, you know, we're bootstrapping. And so every time we, you know, lose deals, that's a significant part of our available capital and things that, you know, if we make mistakes. And so I think that's, you know, figuring out who to work with, what are the right opportunities to come, you know, to work on, I think has been a, has been a big, a big challenge. And then, you know, as we build a team and we build, you know, grow fast and, you know, I've been part of fast growing companies, but from the other side, frustrated as an employee, trying to figure out how to make this work more effectively. And now from the top, trying to do the same thing and realizing like, wow, it's, it's, it's incredibly difficult to build for scale and try and do that at the rate sure. that, you know, I want to grow the business. And so that that's been, you know, lesson of, you know, really focusing on um, trying to build process and team in a way that will help us grow the business, um, you know, in, you know, at the speed I want to. Wow. Interesting. And then as you look forward um, in terms of growth, is it picking up uh, additional accounts? Uh, is it sourcing new materials? Like, how do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's 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 almost all of the above. Um, we, you know, we see a lot of opportunity within our current customer base to really extract more value and become real strategic partners and and not you know spread ourselves too thin and then you know we're you know constantly you know i think because we're such a big team this early on in our in our in our growth we're building this incredible database of natural ingredients around the world so even if we haven't sold the ingredient we're onboarding we're vetting vendors we're building the qa discipline around certain products so we have this data trove of information that you know we believe will will help us become the natural ingredients platform that is almost ingredient agnostic, right? Where we have the expertise to source, to scale, to grow with the customer and to really help them solve some of their pain points. Got it. Makes sense. Um, I always love to ask our guests some of their biggest lessons learned um, in, in launching and or growing a business. And you're a couple years in now. Um, we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen. What would be two or three pieces of advice you'd offer to them? Yeah, I think number one is, is focus. You know, I think there is, you know, sometimes it feels... Um, it feels like a waste of time to spend time planning, but it's not a waste of time. And I think, you know, constantly, you know, focus on planning and regrouping and like always reminding yourself, what are the three things that we're working on? Because saying yes to things Love that. is really easy and saying no to things is more, more important. And so, you know, I think it it's, you know, especially in a market like the US, which is big and comes with so many amazing opportunities, right? And we should all be grateful for that. 
at the same time, those things can, you know, really confuse you and have you running in 10 different directions. And so, you know, I always say to people, you know, fine, say yes to things, but then like, show me all the things you're working on and what are the resources you're allocating? And usually it's the same name against every single one. And you're like, okay, well, how's <laughs> against that? all of them, do? right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so like, now you have one person doing, you know, <laughs> seven projects and it's, it's never going to work. And so I think, you know, that's right. been one. And then, you know, cash flow planning, you know, I'm an accountant finance guy. And I think for us, what's been a really good um, exercise, you know, really, really rigorous cash flow planning. And that's allowed us, you know, early on to unlock a lot of debt and, you know, be able to scale the business, you know, using other means of financing rather than, you know, diluting equity. And so that's been, you know, that's been very valuable for us, but it, it does come at a price. You spend a lot of time, um, you know, working on, working on, you know, your financials and your financial planning to ensure that you don't run out of money. Sure. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so key, right? I mean, cash flow and uh, and watching cash. I was just reading a book called Scaling Up, and uh, two those two points you just highlighted there around focus and and cash flow are extremely important. And sometimes you know you think that would be top priority, but people lose focus. Yeah. No pun intended. Um, hey, this is uh, so interesting. I love what you guys are doing. Um, in in, the, in such a, a an interesting space, and it's often one that's kind of like behind the scenes. You know what I mean? Like you see the finished consumer product but you don't realize what goes into it right yeah exactly yeah i mean i think you know i had a great professor at, at columbia in supply chain and he always was like you know he used to bring out his iphone and say you think the most beautiful thing about the iphone is this phone no the most beautiful thing about this iphone is the supply chain that allows them to make this much profit on this phone it's you know does you know anyone can build that phone once but being able to do it at the scale they're doing it at the margin that they're doing it is, is almost impossible and i think that that you know, for me has been like a nice mantra, right? Which is, you know, supporting the, you know, the CPG founders and people who are, you know, building that iPhone and knowing that we're doing important work behind the scenes to ensure that, you know, they can be profitable, they can scale and they can make a difference. Love it. I mean, such yeah, such good advice and, and such good insight. And I have one more question for you. So if you had to pick one or two ingredients like, you know, that you've been seeing that they're trending up right now that might be surprising for our listeners, what would be those one or two ingredients? What would be like a surprise to hear that this is on the uptake or that it's on the rise? Or we're starting to see more of this come into our products. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's funny. I get asked that question a lot, and I'm definitely not, I'm not a... Because <laughs> you you can see the signals, I, right? I'm not I mean, a taste More purchases. Yeah, maybe, maybe, but I'm not a taste maker. I think, I think you know... Yeah, always, I'm always pumping the the coconut. I think we continue to see, um, you know, really interesting things happening within the coconut industry, and I think it's a, you know, incredibly sustainable product. And so you see the use of like coconut aminos, which is a very good um, alternative to soy sauce, and comes with a lot of um, claims that you can make. You see a lot more use of coconut sugar, you know, coconut nectar. You even see you see you see people using coconut flour as an alternative. And so I think. You know, there's there's definitely a push um, to include coconut in products that you would not necessarily think of, and and use it as as um, you know. I think even like using coconut water in alcoholic beverages, which is you know seems obvious, is now happening more and more. And I think that that's you know again testament to to the product and the claims and and the I think the the I think the consumer already understands the benefit, which is you know sometimes when you're selling certain ingredients that are you know, more esoteric and harder to understand, you then you then have to do a lot of education. Whereas if people understand the coconut, 
you know, they know already. And so, you know, it just, it's a, it seems like a lot easier sell. Dude, I love that. Okay. I'm, I'm on it. And I, <laughs> on the site here, it's like coconut aminos, coconut cream, coconut yeah. flour, coconut meat, coconut milk, coconut oil. I mean, like, oh my God. Um, yeah, amazing. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, so cool. Um, share with our audience where they can find you, connect with you, uh, learn more. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, we're very active on LinkedIn. So look us up there. Um, you know, everyone's available all the time. And then ingredientbrothers.com. And then we're at all the major food trade shows. So definitely come past and say hi to us. I love it, Aaron. So great to have you on the podcast. Um, look forward to following you guys. You got to come back on down the road, share with us more as you grow yeah. um, your portfolio and your your customer base. And really appreciate you being here. I'll have better I'll have better ingredient insights the next time I come on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people want to know, right? That's a, yeah, you no, got you kind of like an indicator, right? You see what people are putting in products. So, anyway, cool. thanks for being here. Thank you. It was great to meet you. The Contender Cast is powered by Contender Brands and is the top global consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast. You can find additional ContenderCast episodes on worldwide podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the ContenderCast, connect with us at ContenderCast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.